And maybe you're like me. Well, several years ago, I took a world missions course at Covenant Seminary as a graduate course, so we all were kind of flexible. So one day, the professor decided to uh, give us a cross-cultural experience. He had spent time in Ethiopia, and we were actually out in South St. Louis uh, visiting some of the uh, refugees that were there. St. Louis is one of the refugee centers in our country. And so after that, we had lunch at an Ethiopian restaurant. So have you ever eaten a meal Ethiopian style? I have. It's challenging. Here's why it's challenging. There are about 10 of us, and we go to this restaurant, an authentic Ethiopian restaurant in South St. Louis, and we're sitting around this table, and all of our food, all of it, comes out on one large communal plate that was set before the ten of us. And I'm thinking, how is this going to work? Where's my plate? Where's my food? Where are my knife and fork? There were nowhere to be found. Although there was this this thin, sour, doughy, spongy type of flatbread called injera that was provided plentifully for us. And eating Ethiopian style means everybody eats off the communal plate. Everybody eats with their fingers by taking a piece of the injera and scooping up your food and putting it in your mouth along with your 10 closest friends that are doing the same as you share a meal together from a communal plate. I loved it. If I never do it again, I will be happy. (laughs) I was challenged, and I have a new appreciation for what it means to share a meal. Now, today, we'll be looking at a shared meal from Leviticus chapter 3. We'll find in this chapter that a meal was prepared. We will find that there were partakers that enjoyed the food of this meal. And then we will also find that they experienced communion as they came together around this meal. So as with the previous messages on Leviticus, I'm simply going to read a selected number of verses from chapter 3. So go ahead and turn to Leviticus chapter 3 as we now turn to God's word for God's people. Beginning with verse 1, we'll read verses 1 through 5, then the last part of verse 16 through 17. Leviticus 3 verse 1. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and he shall lay his hands on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of peace offering as a food offering to the Lord, He shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails 
and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. You got that? Verse 5. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now 16b. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heaven. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may God's word richly revive our souls even today. Let us pray together. Oh Lord, our God, as we come to this chapter in the book of Leviticus, a chapter that can be very challenging uh, for your people to understand, we ask for your grace and your mercy. We know, oh God, that you give wisdom and insight to your people as they come to your word. Oh God, the Holy Spirit, we pray for you to conform us to the very word of God today. Bless us with a fresh reminder of the rich fellowship we have with you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the once for all sacrifice, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing we want to look at today is the mill itself, and we find this described in Leviticus 3. So I spent four hours one afternoon cutting vegetables and arranging the vegetables and the other ingredients to my favorite lasagna in this pan and then cooking it. Four hours to chop and prepare this meal. I poured my life out preparing that meal as well as a little bit of blood. Lots of chopping. Set it before the family gathered. We were done in 15 minutes. Four hours of preparation, 15 minutes of eating together around the table. Well, every meal requires preparation, and this meal is no different than the meal that we find here in Leviticus chapter 3. It is called the peace or fellowship meal. And this particular meal in Leviticus 3 has similarities and dissimilarities to the burnt offering that we talked about several weeks ago in Leviticus uh, chapter 1. So we want to just very quickly look at the similarities and dissimilarities between these two offerings. Like the burnt offering, the peace offering was often accompanied by the grain offering that we studied last week in Leviticus uh, chapter 2. In fact, the animals for both the burnt and the peace offering were to be unblemished animals from the herd and the flock. And there is an important difference with the peace offering where the burnt offering, only an unblemished male animal could be offered. Here in the peace offering, it could be an unblemished male or female from the herd or for the flock. Now, if you look down at verse 7, we didn't read verse 7, but if you look at verse 7, you'll find a specific instruction with regarding 
offering from the herd that is a sheep. Now, the ESV, I'm not sure what translation you have, but the ESV translates that, that if from the flock it is a lamb that is offered. Well, that really should be understood as sheep, not just simply some baby lamb, just sheep in general. And in fact, there's a particular type of sheep that was the breed of choice in Palestine. It was called the Oriental fat-tailed sheep. And you can Google it on the internet, and sure enough, you'll see a sheep with a fat tail. And that's what we're talking about here in Leviticus chapter 3. This very same sheep is not only referenced here in in chapter 3, but in Exodus 29 and in chapters 7, 8, and 9 of Leviticus. Now, why so specific with regards to the sheep that is offered? Because this oriental fat-tailed sheep has extra vertebra so it can support the additional fat that is around the backbone and in the tail. And one of the great Old Testament scholars, R.K. Harrison, estimates that some of these fat-tailed sheep could store between 48 and 73 pounds of fat in the tail area. Can you believe that? Now, the importance of why a lot of fat is a good thing in this meal, we'll talk about just a little later. And so the peace offering was also similar to the burnt offering in that the one, the offerer would would bring the animal to the entrance to the tent of the meeting, remember just north of the altar there in the tabernacle, and he would lay hands on that animal identifying with it so it would be accepted on his behalf as a sacrifice. So that is something that is similar. Also, like with the burnt offering, the offerer would slaughter the animal. The priest would collect the blood and then take the blood and literally throw it against the side of the altar. But there's also an important distinction between the burnt and peace Offerings. Remember, the burnt offering was a whole offering. The whole animal was consumed. All of it was for God. Nothing was left to be shared. But in this offering, the only part of the animal that is God's is the blood and all the fat. The food prepared for this meal was the meat. The meat of the animal that was cut into pieces, but not burned. The blood was collected. That was part of the meal. But it was God's, and it was thrown against the side of the altar. The fat was cut off, and all of it was God's, and it was burned on the altar. Every meal requires food preparation. Even this ritual meal in Leviticus chapter 3. And the way the food was divided says much about the meaning of this particular sacrifice in Leviticus 3. Because it was a meal that was unique in that there God was a partaker, but the priests were partakers, and the offerer was a partaker of the meal. 
So let's look at, at this second heading, the partakers. You know, sometimes we eat alone, but that really isn't the norm. Most of the time, we share a meal with others. We had a meal with the session of the coils yesterday. It was just a blessing for all of us to get together. We had a small covenant group had a meal last night, and they got together. We have meals. We get together. We enjoy fellowship around the meal, around the table. And Leviticus 3 is no different. It's a shared meal. This, this burnt, the, the burnt offering in chapter 1 was totally consumed on the altar. It was not shared. It was all God's. But here we find the peace offering shared between these three parties. First, the priest. So they received a portion of this, this meal. And if you take your Bible and you turn ahead to Leviticus chapter 7... And you look at verses 31 through 34, you will see that the sons of Aaron, the priest, who were acting out this ritual, who were the officiants at this meal, so to speak, that they received the breast of the animal and the right thigh. And in so doing, it was a wave offering and literally a contribution by the offer to the priest, these priests who were the anointed and ordained representatives of God. So the priest partook of this meal. Second, the offerer shared in this meal. Now he got all the rest of the meat and he was able to take that meat home and to cook it and to share a meal with, with his family. Then I want to spend a little bit more time with the third partaker of this meal, and it's God himself. The rituals of both the burnt and the peace offering set a standard, really establish a command, and here it is. Israelites may not eat blood nor fat. They were not to eat blood nor fat in a ritual offering like given at the tabernacle, tabernacle, they were not to eat blood nor fat, even as they're going about their daily business, as they're gathering around a meal in their home. Blood and fat were prohibited as food for the Israelites. And we have to ask the question, why? It's central to understanding the significance of this offering in Leviticus 3. Look at verse 16, the last part of it. All fat is the Lord's. God's share of fat makes absolutely no sense to us today because what are we told? Have a low-fat diet. Even though I had barbecue for lunch and supper last night, so I did not have a low-fat diet. But that's what we're told, right? Uh, meat in the ancient world was relatively rare. They couldn't run down the Kroger like we do today and buy a good steak or run to a restaurant and have a good steak. And so there was a, there was a, a phrase, it was called the sweet fat, that, that, that very best juicy portion, that, that best cut that was called the sweet fat, that was considered to be the very best part. And as we, we think about Leviticus chapter 3, where it says in verse 16 that all fat is the Lord, think about 
Think about the tenderloin or, or think about filet mignon. You know, the very best cuts of meat, the very best belonged to God. And because of that, the Israelites were to have a no-fat diet because the fat was God's food at this shared meal. But the Israelites were also prohibited from consuming blood. And so turn again to Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 14. And this prohibition against consuming blood also meant they could not eat raw meat that would have blood in it still. And so we read in Leviticus 17 verse 14. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And actually, the the reason for this prohibition is, is given in chapter 17 in just a few verses before, in verses 11 through 12. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger or so who sojourns among you eat blood. Even those strangers that are perhaps visiting or amongst the Israelites could not share in a mill where there was blood. The fat and the lifeblood belong to God. So this peace and fellowship mill, the food was prepared. It was a shared mill between the offerer, the priest, and God himself. And the division of the food is unique, but the the division of the food helps us understand why this was called a communion meal, a a fellowship meal. So we'll now look to this this third point on your sermon outline, the uh, communion. Well, if truth be known, and it should always be known, that there are some meals where we might feel obligated (laughs) to... Uh, to partake of. Maybe uh, it's that event you really don't want to go to. You know, how many heard someone say, how many rubber chicken dinners can you go to in a lifetime? Or maybe, you know, it's um, that business lunch that you have to go to. It, it's a matter of making a sale or not. So off, sometimes we are obligated to share a meal with someone else. But most of the time, we voluntarily share a meal. We want to share a meal. We want to be with those other people. We want to sit down with them and fellowship. And what's interesting about this particular peace offering, this fellowship meal, is that it was optional in the life of Israel. In fact, if you go to Leviticus 7 and verse 11, the text specifically says the peace offering may be offered. 
It doesn't say it must be offered. So it's optional. It was an offering that could be given just simply to give thanks to God for his favor. It was an offering that could be given in the fulfillment of a vow. It was an offering that could be given just because we feel compelled to honor God, a free will offering. For there's absolutely no obligation whatsoever. But as we think about this peace offering, as we look at it in the context of Leviticus and in the context of of the, the ritual law, the sacrificial law that we see spelled out for us here, it's important that the basic meaning of this peace offering and this fellowship offering is to honor God and to have fellowship with Him. So as the offerer brought this animal to the altar, and he observed the priest very carefully cutting away all of the fat to burn it as God's food on the altar. And as he sat at home at his table with his family and did not eat fat, God was honored. God was honored by the offerer saying, God gets the very best. He and he alone is worthy of the very best. The fat is his. So by not eating fat in this particular meal, God was honored. As the Israelite would would bring his, his peace offering there, And the animal was slaughtered, and and the priest would collect the blood and throw it against the altar. And then as he would take his meat home and cook it and not eat blood, he honored God by saying, God is the one sovereign over life. In fact, God is so sovereign over life, and God is so holy that he can demand the lifeblood of a sacrifice to atone for the sin of sinners, that he might have fellowship with his people. God being honored is at the very heart of this fellowship meal. But not only are we to honor God and his God honored, but also it's an opportunity for God's people to rededicate themselves, to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, as we read about in Exodus chapter 19. And in fact, in in the ancient uh, world, mills were, were very regularly associated with a covenant being made, a covenant being ratified, the parties of the covenant rededicating themselves to one another, the ones bound by the covenant reaffirming and rededicating themselves to keep the covenant. And we see this particular peace offering has in the backdrop this ancient practice of ratifying covenants, of rededicating oneself to keep 
the covenant. And this shared meal that, that we find in Leviticus chapter 3 points to a greater shared meal, a communion meal. It points to a meal where the covenant king reaffirms his faithfulness to his covenant people. It points to a covenant meal where God's covenant people rededicate themselves to be that kingdom of priests and that holy nation that God has called them to be. But it's a meal, this greater meal is a meal where no longer does blood need to be spilled in order to have fellowship. You see, in Leviticus 3, the Israelites over and over again could not offer this sacrifice without the blood of that animal being thrown against the altar. Showing they could not have fellowship with God without blood being shed. But this greater meal is a bloodless meal. No blood is shed. Because it is a meal that declares that there was a sacrifice. There was blood shed. There was blood thrown against the altar, so to speak. For atonement for God's people. And this greater mill, this, this, this mill that declares the once for all sacrifice that brings about fellowship between the covenant king and his covenant people, of course, is the Lord's Supper. The most significant shared mill we experience and certainly the most significant mill we enjoy as a church family. You know, last week we learned from the grain offering that also has in the backdrop this God's covenant with his people, that that grain offering, that salty covenant pointed to the permanence, the enduring quality of the covenant. God will never forsake us. And the peace offering here points to the rich, deep, vibrant communion, fellowship, that exists between the covenant king and his relationship with his covenant people by way of that covenant that he has established. You know, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the Lord's Supper last week, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper next Sunday evening. But when we come to the Lord's Supper, it really is a covenant meal. It really is a celebration where we honor God as worthy of our best, where we acknowledge God as the sovereign over all life, so sovereign that he ordained his one and only son's blood be shed that we might have life and have fellowship with him. It's an opportunity for God to say, I want to reaffirm with you that I'm your covenant king. And I love you. And I'm faithful to you. And I will never stop relating to you. Even when you don't want to relate to me. If you're my covenant child. Now just stop and think about that. If someone says, Tim, I don't want to relate to you anymore. I go, okay. 
see you. Now, that's not completely true. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe it is. But man, we can look, we can just raise our fist at God and say, I don't have anything more to do with you. And if we're truly united to Christ in saving faith, God will never stop relating to us, and he will eventually bring us back. And we should be so encouraged. We should be so strengthened having partaken of the Lord's Supper. Because there we honor God. There he just says, hey, you're mine. And nothing is going to separate you from my love. But it's also an opportunity for us to rededicate ourselves to keep the covenant. To say, God, you're ours and we are yours and our heart's desire is to be exactly what you've called us to be, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, to be faithful to keep your covenant. You see, the Lord's Supper is really what that fellowship offering was all about. God affirming his covenant with his people, his people rededicating themselves to be his covenant king. I've had a challenging meal, and I'm telling you what, Using injera and eating with my fingers off a communal plate was challenging for me. But I've also had rememberable meals. And you have too, haven't you? And maybe to your surprise, certainly to my surprise, the most rememberable meal I had was not in a fancy restaurant, was not even with my wife. I'm sorry. (laughs) Though she is rememberable. And I've had some great meals with Ray and with my family. It was actually with some of you. Years ago, hot, dusty, dry day on the Mexico side of the border where our medical team had been working all morning, just simply serving the community there by giving them medical care. And the townspeople were so grateful. And so what I guess this guy was the mayor. He looked like a mayor to me of this little village. And the town wanted to, to, to honor us and to do something to show their gratitude for just these, these Americans coming down with absolutely no agenda except to share the love and mercy of Christ with people they had never met before. And so they wanted to say thanks. And so it came around lunchtime, and there was, yet again, a communal pot. (laughs) There was just this big earthen vessel that was a mill of goat. And so they, they said, go first. All of those on the team went first, and we reached in and got, got our goat and we began to eat. And I just remember, I, I was looking at this, this fellow that must have been the mayor. And he had on a white shirt. But I kept eating and looking at him. And what I saw were just simply what looked like drops of blood that were splattered on his shirt. And all of a sudden I realized that this mayor, earlier that day, had taken an animal, had cut its throat, had slaughtered it, had skinned it, 
had gutted it, had cut it up, and had made a meal to share with us. And I remember looking at him and the blood that was splattered on his shirt and thinking about the fellowship meal that is the Lord's Supper. Because we were only able to share that meal because a sacrifice was made. And when we look at the Lord's Supper, we're only able to have fellowship with God because the blood of the once-for-all sacrifice was shed. And think about what Tom read earlier from Ephesians 2, that he himself, Jesus, is what? Our peace. Through the blood of Jesus being thrown against the side of the altar, so to speak, We have peace with God, fellowship. We have peace with one another, fellowship. Let's pray. Our Father, as we just think about the realities of fellowship, the living God, I pray, O Lord, that you would remind us of the communion meal, the Lord's Supper, as an opportunity to celebrate and honor you, the covenant king, And for us, your people, to rededicate ourselves to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Show us afresh that there's really only one thing that stands between having fellowship with you and not having fellowship with you. And that is the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And yet, as the one who is sovereign over life, you have caused one sacrifice to make atonement for your people. And Father, I pray that, that, that as we think about what you have done, that not only as we come to the Lord's table, but as we live our lives, that we would truly seek to be that living sacrifice that the Apostle Paul speaks about in Romans 12. That we would seek to honor you as worthy of the best of our lives, as acknowledging you as sovereign over life and that that we would daily rededicate ourselves to be your kingdom of priests and your holy nation by your grace. And so work we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 469, we'll sing the first four stanzas of how sweet and awesome is this place, a hymn that reminds us of communing with God. Let us stand.